Please join us in giving special thanks to our family of patrons, Story Folk, Paul Jackson, Sean Powell, Shawnee Basket, and Selena Vokenhauer. Thanks to their support, the stories keep flowing. You're listening to Lore and Legend, tales from our mythic past. Hello and welcome. I'm Rick Scott, bringing you legendary tales inspired by the rich traditions of world folklore and mythology. Our guest today on the podcast is Maria Kradali, a storyteller based in the Midlands here in the United Kingdom. Maria performs at clubs, festivals and heritage sites and events throughout the UK, recently performing at Tamworth Castle and recording stories for the Royal Voluntary Service and the UK Literary Association. And she's also worked on a project with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Now, Maria enjoys telling love stories with romantic heroes and heroines, which makes her a great choice for our February podcast. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to get this episode out for February 14th as a Valentine's special episode, as I'd originally planned. But I'm sure that you'll enjoy this love-themed story anyway. I first heard Maria performing this story around the bonfire at an after-hours storytelling session at Festival at the Edge in August last year, and I'm delighted that she agreed to come on the show and share it with all of you. Now here's Maria Cradali telling her version of the story of the devil in a nut. Oh, it was so cool. Finally out in the fresh air after the heat and the noise of that dance. And the girl walked along the road, past the woods. The stars were just beginning to come out on this midsummer's eve, just beginning to prickle the sky they were. And she stood there for a moment in the peace and quiet and reflected on the evening that had gone before. She'd had a wonderful time at the dance, she always did, and she danced with lots of lovely young men, but the one partner she'd always wanted to dance with, he wasn't there, he never was. Because he wasn't much of a dancer was the young blacksmith. But still, she kept going week in, week out, just in case he turned up. The old ladies at the dance had told her she shouldn't be walking home alone and they told her she should get one of the nice young men to walk her home but she didn't need walking home. She didn't need looking after her. After after all she always kept her wits about her and she pushed her hands into her pockets as she walked towards the woods. What did she have in there? Oh yeah it was a lucky charm well not a lucky charm really it was a nut. She'd gone picking uh, hazelnuts the year before. And when she'd plucked this hazelnut from the bush, she'd noticed it had felt light, too light, actually. And she'd looked in and there was a tiny round hole bored into it where an insect had crawled in and eaten every last morsel of the nut. And she'd kept it as a curiosity. And now she carried it as a lucky charm. She walked towards the hawthorn bushes, and there were a stand of them. You know the sort where they 
kind of join over the top to make a, a tunnel that you can walk through. And oh, as she walked beneath that tunnel of hawthorn, wow, the blossom, the scent of the blossom filled the air and she stood there for a moment and just, it smelt divine. When she opened her eyes again, at the end of the tunnel, there stood a man. And he was quite the most handsome man she'd ever seen. Well, apart from the blacksmith, obviously. <clears throat> and he began to walk towards her with a power and a grace in his stride. Wow, he was good looking. He drew level with her. You should not be out here alone, he said. Oh, thank you, sir, she said. But I assure you, I am quite capable. And he fell into walking alongside her. And before long, they were talking. And she wasn't quite sure how this happened, but before much longer, she found her hand in his. And then not long after that, she found that he had both of her hands in his. And his eyes were shining bright in the starlight. And he was leaning in closer and closer and closer. But this girl, she kept her wits about her. And even though she knew he was a very handsome, charming stranger, he was still a charming stranger. And she pulled back away from him. And she took a good look at him then. From the top of his shiny, polished top hat, down over his magnificent embroidered waistcoat and his beautiful frock coat, perfectly pressed trousers. But there, at the end of those long, lithe legs, where there should by rights have been a pair of perfectly polished shoes, the girl saw a pair of perfectly polished cloven hooves. You, she said, you are the devil himself and do I not have enough devilry in my life already? What on earth would I be doing having anything to do with you? And the devil just smiled. Oh, you are a clever girl, he said. But listen, why don't you give yourself to me? If you give yourself to me, said the devil, I will dress you in the finest silks and satins. I will slip silver slippers upon your toes and show you the world and feast you on fine foods. Just give yourself to me. And the girl thought for a moment. It was very tempting. She pushed her hands back into her pockets and found that nut. Oh. Yes, she said, that is very tempting, a very tempting offer indeed. But how do I know you can actually do all of those things? For example, she said, fishing the nut out of a pocket, I've heard that you can shrink yourself down to the size of a flea, small enough to get inside this nut. But I don't know if you can really do that or if it's just something that people say. Well, the devil, he does not like to be doubted. And his face turned puce with fury and he grew taller and taller until he towered down over the girl. That, he said, is the least of my skills. And the girl watched as the devil 
began to grow smaller and smaller. Soon he was no bigger than a dog, then a small cat, then a mouse, and then, then, a flea. And the girl bent down and placed that nut on the ground beside him, and the devil himself crawled into the nut. Quick as a flash, the girl grabbed a hawthorn and she jammed it into the hole in the nut. And there she had the devil trapped in a nut. Oh, it was heavy now. She lifted it to her ear and shook it. Oh, he was angry. She laughed and popped it in her pocket. And she sat down for a moment and thought, now then, what would you do if you had the devil trapped in a nut? Would you drown it in the deepest depths of the darkest oceans? Would you cast it into a fire? No, probably not. Would you throw it into the frozen north until it stayed there forever? Well, there was a lot to think about and the girl thought. Sometime later, she opened the door to the smithy and she was wrapped in an envelope of heat. And there, oh, there he was, stood framed against the light of the the smithy was the smith. Oh, he was all brawn and brains and beauty. And she took a moment just to stand there and look. And then he turned round and he saw her. And she smiled sweetly and fished the nut from her pocket. I have a job for you this evening, she said. This nut, I cannot crack it. And she allowed the nut to drop from her delicate, clever fingers into the vastness of the blacksmith's hand. Wait there, miss, he said. And he carried the nut over to the anvil and he selected his smallest hammer because a blacksmith knows just the right amount of pressure to use and he, he didn't want to damage the nut. And he gave the nut the lightest crack and nothing happened. Oh, he said, just a moment. And he hit the nut a little harder and the hammer just bounced off because this nut was packed with the evil and the fury of the devil and this nut would not crack. Oh, <clears throat> that's never happened to me before, said the smith. And the girl just smiled and allowed her gaze to linger on the larger hammers in the corner of the room. The blacksmith walked over and selected a much larger hammer this time. He brought it back. He lifted his fist high above his head and he brought that hammer down upon the nut with a noise that made the, the tools in the rack ring. And the hammer was cleaved in two because this nut was packed with the devil's fury. This nut was full of evil and it would not crack. The girl stifled a laugh. Stand back, miss, said the blacksmith. And off he went to the corner and he dragged back the sledgehammer. And this time as he raised it above his head, well, the veins on the side of his neck were popping out and the sweat stood out on his brow and his muscles bulged. And he brought that sledgehammer down with only the power that a blacksmith who's trying to impress a young lady could possibly possess. But it did the trick. That nut shattered into a million pieces and from it 
came screaming the devil, scarlet and bruised and battered and bloodied. He howled as he vanished up the chimney in a spark, a, a shower of sparks. And he was never seen in those parts again. And the girl went over to the blacksmith and held onto his arm in a most beguiling way and looked up into his eyes. Oh, thank you, she said. And the following weekend, our girl danced with the blacksmith all night long. If I'm you're... really glad you like that. Yeah. <laughs> I love telling that story. I think I she's did. so clever. <laughs> it was wonderful, Maria. Thank you. The bones of that are the devil in the nut, and then the the the. It's actually two devil in the nut stories, really. There put together I think and then the girl is just me really on top <laughs> devious devious woman we're all the same how you know where did your your journey start Maria how did you get into storytelling yourself I I only found it about five years ago I think it was about four off just coming up to five years ago and I'm I live in Litchfield and a storyteller called Maria Watton had set up uh, Litchfield Storytellers. Um, and she was doing a story circle as well. And I happened across an advert for the story circle and I went along to it. And she was talking about the Christmas show that they were doing, the, the group of tellers. And I'd never seen anything like it. And I went along and went to the Christmas night and it was all just lovely little 10 minute tales Christmassy wintry stories <clears throat> and then the guest that they had on in January was Tim Ralphs and he did um Can the Mountains Love the Sea the Norse God stories I don't know if you've heard it but I was completely completely mesmerized the whole evening I couldn't I was that excited I, I was that buzzing afterwards I couldn't sleep um and I kind of just that was a monthly club with a circle, a story circle as well. And I just started going along to those and I just loved it. But I'd never seen it. I'd never seen it. I'd never heard anybody tell a story. I'd only ever heard people read stories. I'd never heard anyone tell traditional oral tales at all. So it was like, it was like finding Aladdin's cave. It really was something totally different. So it was your, uh, your gateway experience then, I guess. It was, yeah, it really was. And I can't, I can still remember, not the story and not the um, specific terms, but Tim painted this picture in my mind of, of Odin's Hall and I can still see it. You know, this is four or five years later, I can still see Odin's Hall that he painted. So, yeah, it was magical. That's brilliant. And since then, what kind of ways have you uh, sort of got, got involved with the the sort of storytelling scene and community, you know, uh, how did you pursue the passion? Um, I, I went to the story circle, so I carried on going every once a month performances and we had people like uh, Moni and Iva from A Spell in Time, that was amazing. Shona Lee came along, Dave Tong came along, lots of fantastic tellers, so that was brilliant. And then I was going along to the story circle as well and just I started off writing my own stories and then gradually because I didn't know any traditional stories I know that sounds bizarre but I just didn't know any traditional stories really other than you know Red Riding Hood and things like that and then gradually I found more and more traditional stories and 
started telling and started telling at the club and then I started going to a club in Stafford as well and one in uh, Burton-on-Trent so I went to Stafford Knot and once upon a Wednesday uh, and Birmingham as well there's a, a, a kitchen garden cafe that's lovely and I just started going around to clubs listening and watching and then occasionally I'd get asked to tell and it kind of grew from there really what uh what kind of uh stories do you like to tell what what kind of a, a storyteller are you <laughs> uh, i i like stories that have got happy endings i know that's really twee but i do that's if i'm telling the honest truth that's what i like i like stories that have um a nice rounded ending to them and i like stories that have got very strong female leads in them female protagonists as well and stories that have got a good twist. I like twisty endings. In terms of what sort of storyteller I am, I suspect that will continue to change. It has changed. And I, I'm, I'm trying to be a storyteller who uh, shares tales, so shares stories with the audience. I'm trying to connect with the audience. People have said that I'm warm, warm and gentle. I get cold. So that's quite, that's quite lovely. I don't mind that one. That's a nice tag to have. Yeah, it is. Um, so uh, you've talked you talked about warmth there. What what does it mean to to share a story? Do you think? I think the the best tellers that I enjoy listening to are the tellers that connect on a on quite a deep level with their audience. So, and I'm not talking deep and meaningful connection. I'm talking just a little bit more conversational as though you're talking to somebody as a friend rather than lecturing from the front of a a room. I used to be a, a school teacher and I see quite a lot of tellers and I know I was guilty of this as well who tell as if they're telling to a classroom of people and I, I'm, what I'm trying to do is move on from that and be more of a teller who who has a, a conversation with the audience. It might be a one-way conversation for quite a big chunk of it but that that's the kind of feel that I like and that's what I mean by warm. Excellent. Um... Do you think that takes quite a lot of sort of confidence as a storyteller uh, to achieve that kind of uh, connection with your audience? I do, actually. I think you've got to be very confident in your material so that you're not stressing about your material when you're telling. And then you can then you can concentrate on the connection element of it because you're not wondering about what you're going to say next or whether it's the right turn of phrase. Um, and I think once you're very confident with your material, then it's a lot easier to work on the other aspects of the sharing of the story. You said that the kind of storyteller that you are has changed over time. Could you tell us maybe a bit more about that? As how, how has the way that you've sort of told stories changed and what, what are you learning to do differently as, uh, as uh, you move between these sort of different uh, stages of storytelling? Do you know what? I thought that was a really good question. When you sent me the list of questions to have a look at, I found that fascinating because I'd never really considered it. And um, I sat down and thought back about how, what, what I was like when I first started telling, because, you know, it's like it's, it's quite terrifying when you're beginning. Um, so I used to spend quite a lot of time uh, fidgeting and holding my own hands. It was a, I could tell when I was nervous, I had this little tell I would hold my own hands. You know, like an elephant holds its tail. <laughs> well, I would be doing that when I was telling a story in front of people. And I would slip into this, um, I'm a storyteller character. 
and I noticed it. I noticed that I was doing it and I have tried to move away from that and tried to just carry on being me, telling a story. And that's, it's quite a subtle distinction, but I know it's there in my own practice. I know that that's what the way I used to be was very different to how I am now. And I, um, I like, I feel more comfortable and more happy with what I'm producing now than, than say two or three years ago. And I think a lot of that is down to the fact that we've had lockdown and I've been able to practice an awful lot more in terms of sharing stories with people on Zoom. You know, there are a lot more opportunities to share people, even though you don't get the feedback from the audience in the same way. Just in terms of your own confidence and, and, and becoming um, comfortable, it, it was really useful. Yeah, I think a lot of storytellers are quite worried about the whole thing of, um, you know, storytelling over Zoom, losing kind of that in-person <clears throat> dimension. But uh, you're saying that, you know, just practicing storytelling and, and doing it as much as possible has has benefits of its own, do you think? I think so, yeah. I mean, I don't get you. There are lots of different levels to storytelling, aren't there? There's the, there's the material, there is how you make the material your own and there is the performance of it or the telling or the sharing of it however you like to think of it and then there is another level which is the how do you interact with your audience so you can't practice any of that really on zoom um you can to a certain degree but it's very difficult because once you turn audio on you know you lose all of that you you lose the quality of the broadcast but what you can do is practice your performance side of it and practice your own telling of it. So although there have been lots of drawbacks to Zoom, I think in terms of providing opportunities for you to practice telling and that aspect of your performance, then, yeah, I think Zoom has been tremendously useful. You know, and the other thing is, <coughs> excuse me, you've been able to listen to an awful lot more tellers. And I think that's really, really important. So going out and hearing and watching so many more tellers than I would ever have been able to do had we not had lockdown. So I've been listening to people from across the world, you know, and up and down, up to Scotland and across to Wales. I would have never been able to do that. So I think that's been really useful. Mm, yeah, it's been a bit of a, a revelation, hasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really has. I, I, I think it's been, it's been a bit of a godsend and I hope that Zoom telling and online telling does continue because it does give you a much broader perspective as well. You get to see other tellers other than just your local tellers, whereas you, you wouldn't have been able to do that other than going to festivals. You know, you couldn't just pop out on a Wednesday night to Scotland to, to listen to someone, could you? But you can when it's online. Definitely. So you've sort of like talked about this um, kind of evolution of your storytelling and I guess I was going to say the evolution of your storytelling persona but you, you I mean you kind of said you're trying to move away from a persona so I guess you could say bringing yourself more authentically into your storytelling does that change the work what what kind of stories that you tell as as well as the way that you tell them I don't think so I think you tell the stories that work for you um I, I think I like that phrase that you've just used about bringing yourself into your storytelling more being more authentically you and yeah I agree with that entirely and that's exactly what I'm trying to do um it's very easy to hide behind different um 
you know, being a storyteller character. And it's actually a bit more, it's a bit more revealing, actually, isn't it? If you're going to be yourself when you tell, that's, you know, you are being yourself in a room full of people, putting yourself there on the stand as you. Um, but in terms of stories, I don't think it's changed what I tell. No, I don't think it has really. So here's a question. When when another storyteller is is up there and you're watching them, um, what what are the things that kind of let you know that that they are sort of being authentically there? You know, can you tell when somebody's got a persona and when they are uh, when they are sort of more vulnerable or authentic in their telling? Mm, that is a really interesting question. There's the, there are the obvious ones, aren't there? In that people dress up in costumes or wear hats that are you know that's their storytelling hat I know people do that and people have got different ways of doing it but that's who they are I can only kind of talk from my point of view really that's I can only talk about my my own journey really I can't I can't comment on other people's how they do it that's that's up to them and that's that's their own journey that they're on and we're all on really I think we're all on quite different journeys actually as well Excellent. Um, I mean, you said that you enjoy uh, stories of happy endings um, and you were talking about kind of sort of discovering traditional material. Is there any sort of particular kind of myth or folklore <clears throat> that um, that you're kind of drawn to as, as like thematically rather than sort of how it ends? I, well, this is, I, I, I was discussing this with a friend the other day, and um, yes, I, t I tend to do love stories. <laughs> so they're kind of like soppy love stories with a twist. So usually someone's dead by the end of it, but there is always a happy ending. It, you know, it comes around to a happy ending. But I tend to, mine tend to be love themed. Um, I don't know what that's about. I just, that's, that's where I am. But in terms of cultural stories and things, I find that... Um, there are some, some cultures that I just don't get the stories from at all. They just don't resonate with me. I don't understand them. And then there are others that I just think, oh, yeah, I get that. You know, and I find that fascinating that some cultures work with me and some I just don't get at all. Yeah. So have you, have you ever worked with uh, other storytellers? You know, you're talking about getting to listen to more people online and stuff. Have you sort of told uh, with other people? Is that something that's come up um, uh, yet? I've told alongside people. So I've shared stages with other people, but I've not actually collaborated. That's something I'd really like to do, actually, is, is work with another teller and entwine the stories together rather than just doing taking turns, tell, you know. Um, so I've, I've done I've done sharing the stage type of, of working alongside people, but not not creating a piece together and I think that's the difference isn't it so mm. I worked with Suki Silvertongue, uh, Sue Squire at the East Anglian Storytelling Festival in October and in, in uh, this year so that's 2021 isn't it and um, <clears throat> yeah that was that was really good fun actually because we came at we were doing a set called um, Love and Lust I think we called it and it, we came at it from very different angles. So Suki Silvertongue stuff is is spoken word, rhyming, fantastically lyrical, wonderfully funny versions of traditional fairy tales, and quite rude sometimes as well, which is 
was <laughs> great fun. And mine are complete sappy love stories from the other side of it. So we we filed, we made a nice contrast and we worked together on that and just put together a series of stories. But it still wasn't quite creating a, a full narrative with another teller. That's that's something else to think about for the future, I think. Excellent. What what's your favorite part of being a storyteller? Oh, that's tricky. I actually really enjoy creating the my version of the story. I like that part of the process. I like finding a story that speaks to me and then making it mine. So I'll twist something around and I'll change it and I'll I'll make it from my perspective. Uh, so I really enjoy the writing part of it. Um, and then I like the part, which I'm sure we all do, where you're talking to your audience and you realise that they're all hanging on every word. That's just a complete power trip, isn't it, really? Um, but I do really enjoy the writing part of it. Yeah, the, the job I had, a, I got a commission with the Royal Shakespeare Company this year, which is hugely exciting. And I was really pleased with that. Myself and Kat Weatherall were commissioned to create new narratives. And that was enormous fun. Like we had to create two stories each. And they gave me access to all these interviews and archives with all the actors and actresses and people who worked in the costume department. And from that, I had to pull together a narrative. I had to create a new story that didn't exist anywhere before and then work out how to tell it and how to perform it and and do all the usual storytelling little gilding bits on it and it was that was fascinating I really enjoyed doing that it was very difficult because there was no story there so I had to completely create a story and um, so I've got a newfound admiration for people who write stories now yeah that's interesting isn't it do you think that sort of being familiar with traditional storytelling techniques gives you good tools for creating your own narratives I think so. Yes, I do. And I think you pick up the kind of tropes and, and um, if you can weave them together into a narrative, then people people will listen to it thinking that this is a story that's been around for a long time, I'm sure. But it's um, yeah, it was it was it was fascinating. And I know from 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 the storytelling experience side of things, what sort of things catch the attention, how to grab the attention, how to change the pace, how to, you know, all the usual um toolkit that you would use when you were telling your story telling a traditional story you can employ that to create something totally new so it was really good fun actually and coming at it from the other side you know what what, what what's the most kind of challenging part of storytelling or, or working with a story is there anything that that you find quite difficult I find it very difficult to be constrained by a theme when it's when I don't have a story that fits the theme and then I'll spend quite a long time panicking about finding the right sort of story. Um, I think themes, giving people themes can be really useful because it is like a prompt, isn't it? But if you don't have anything that fits, then that is really tricky. And I've told, in the past, I've told stories that I haven't particularly liked, especially early on, and I haven't, I haven't loved them and I think it's really obvious to your audience if you don't love your material and no and it's really obvious to me no matter how hard I try to make it my own if it's not a story that I love to begin with that doesn't grab me then it's really difficult to make it good so I think you've got to love your material 
I guess that's because it's difficult, isn't it? If you're going to make something your own, you kind of need that kind of spark of imagination, don't you, to to form it into something new. But if it's not actually inspiring you, then uh, it doesn't doesn't really happen, does it? <laughs> I think I think that's it. I think you've nailed that. Yeah. Have you got any other sort of favourite memories or experiences of storytelling, uh, either as an audience member uh, or or as the storyteller? Um, I had the in terms of my memories, the the I did the filming for the for the story that I did for the Royal Shakespeare Company. That was really memorable because I got to tell I got to tell the story that I've created about the creation of this dress. It was um, Titania's dress from a Midsummer Night's Dream, and I'd woven this entire story around this dress, having only seen it on a photograph. And then I got to tell the story, stood next to this. God, it was gorgeous. This dress, and it was just shimmering with magic you know it was a real a really magical thing so that was that was a lovely memory um and in terms of watching other storytellers I can remember well two really stand out I watched Dave Tong telling at uh, an event that I went to I think it was at Ludlow Castle and what was fascinating about that was the way that he held the audience in the palm of his hand and they were all hanging on every word and also very included in the story. So there were there were spaces and opportunities in his storytelling for the audience to be really part of the story. And I loved that. Um, and the other one that in terms of just a just what well, really wasn't a just telling to a club audience. Uh, one of the first tellers that I saw was uh, Nell Phoenix. And she came along to Litchfield Storytellers and she told her story set about Little Red Riding Hood. And that was magnificent. It was about all the different versions of Little Red Riding Hood going right back to the oldest version she could find. And it was fascinating how much it changed. And Nell tells stories in a way that are quite circular. So her sets take you on a journey and bring you back to the beginning again. And I, 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 I really enjoyed that aspect of Nell's telling and she's a fabulous teller. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for talking to me. Uh, You're and, very welcome. Uh, you don't get to talk about yourself very often ever, Rick. So like, <laughs> 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 nobody ever asked me about myself. So it's really nice <laughs> to go on about myself for a bit. You know, actually being invited to do that is nice. That's cool. <laughs> but, it's really nice to be asked. Thank you for, for remembering my story so kindly. You've been listening to The Devil in a Nut, a guest episode of Law and Legend with storyteller Maria Cradali. You can find out more about Maria's storytelling, events, gigs and projects through her Facebook page. The link is right there in our episode notes, so do go and check it out. The lore and legend theme music in this episode was performed by Robert Bentall, with additional music from the Sekilo Museum of Ancient Instruments. To find out more about episodes of Lore and Legend, you can visit www.loreandlegend.co.uk and check out our episode blog posts. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more, please consider joining our family of patrons in supporting the podcast. You can go to our website and click on support us to find everything that you need to do that. 
Next month, we'll be listening to the combined musical and storytelling talents of Suzanne and Jake Tumnus as they perform their special show evoking the lore and magic of the Shropshire countryside and exploring the shape-shifting qualities of saints, witches, and hares. Thanks once again for listening, and stay safe out there, story folk. Thank you.